Hello everyone and welcome to Radical Normal. My name is Andre and I'm here with Michael and on today's episode we'll be discussing 2 Corinthians chapter 7. Hope you guys enjoyed the episode. So good news everybody. I am now a bachelor and I'm headed on the show. By bachelor you mean bachelor of college. Okay. <laughs> and still a bachelor because you're still not engaged which is <laughs> good for the boys <laughs> even though i boys. won't be here all summer unfortunate yeah that is that is tragic what have you been up to i came over and andre's dogs just started jumping all over me yeah we decided to record at my house which is has never happened before i don't think nope uh and i'm taking care of my dogs because well my my family's not home right now and so it's just me and they have a tendency to be a little bit more than just uh, loud, and hopefully they don't, <laughs> they don't do anything uh, tremendously annoying during the, our time recording today. Andre projected a ten-minute episode. We will see if that happens. I think it's I think it's possible. There's not there's not a lot going on in in Second Corinthians chapter seven, but let's see what we can see what we can get out of this. We're gonna talk a little about Paul's joy and also his grief. Uh, godly grief, you could say, and we are going to dive in. Yep, so chapter 7, verse 1 says, Since we have these promises, beloved, let us cleanse ourselves from every defilement of body and spirit, bringing holiness to completion in the fear of God. And uh, before I hand it off to Andre, I just want to say that since we have these promises, um, the word these is obviously referring to something he would have already talked about. So you think of chapter 1, him saying all of God's promises have found their yes in Christ, but more relevant is actually the end of chapter six, where he blends together verses from Exodus, Leviticus, Ezekiel, Isaiah, and so forth that we talked about last week. And we see that God has promised salvation, restoration, and his presence. And those are the promises that Paul roots this um, exhortation to holiness. All right, it's been less than three minutes. Not really sure what the time is, but we've now already taken two pauses for Andre's dog. So this is really going great. But they're both laying down and they both look really <laughs> tired now. I don't actually know if they look tired, but let's just hope we can get through this episode. So where were we? Chapter seven, verse verse one. We didn't make it one. very far. Yeah, we did not make it very far. <laughs> yeah, but like my like <laughs> as Michael said, uh talking about um, kind of uh, just uh, this holiness of, of mind, body, and spirit. And um, Paul's really uh, calling out the Corinthians a little bit, but more so what he's talking about in the verses to follow is, and when, when he makes these references to, you know, kind of calling them out and, and what's going on is he makes reference to this letter uh, that he has sent to them. Uh, the commentary that I was reading out of said that potentially this is one of the letters that isn't actually in yeah in, we're gonna get to Bible. that starting yeah. with verse eight um but yeah he's he's talking about how you know despite all these things that he said to them potentially this has caused them some kind of you know ill feeling towards him um he has you know he's he's felt um pretty awful about this and you know he's been in, in you know pretty much like this state of despair like surrounding this you know they're uh, displeasure with him a lot of the the new newcomers coming into the area and some of the feelings caused by that as well and you know we've seen in the, in the previous chapters how he's kind of defended uh, his ministry um, and his apostleship and now he's going to kind of go um, 
back and forth on how he he feels uh, you know tremendously afflicted because of you know the grief he's caused for them, but also because of the positive outcome of what came out of this and what he's heard from you know Titus uh, who was who was with them recently. Um, he's he's actually joyed at the overall result of uh, of this of this whole situation. So getting into all of that, I think it's interesting um, to think about, you know, the things that have already been said and, and how this is kind of uh, getting to, uh, to where we are now. Yeah, let me, I, Andre's moving way faster than I am. I'm going to stick with verse one here for a little bit. So it's interesting that he talks about we need to cleanse ourselves from every defilement of body and spirit. And uh, some commentators or some, if you do some comparisons, comparisons with ancient literature, think that body and spirit is talking about how sin affects all of you. It's not just an external physical thing, and it's not just a soul thing. It's physical and spiritual, um, and it is a danger. And it's interesting how he says we bring holiness to completion because of or in the fear of, or in the fear of God. And so you think about how we've already seen fear in chapter 5. He talks about uh, knowing the fear of the Lord, we persuade others. So that drove his evangelism and his proclamation of the gospel in 5 verse 11. And so this fear of God is this reverence and this awe towards God that shall lead to purification, the death of sin amongst God's people. And you think about how they're to be holy. You think about in Leviticus, Israel was to be holy. They weren't to, God's people aren't to isolate themselves from the world, but their ultimate allegiance is to be with Jesus. And so I think that really actually, even though uh, starting in verse two, we kind of have a new section. I think that actually leads into that area because uh, this holiness and this set apartness is is uh, imperative for the people that Paul is writing to, especially, sorry, in a culture where they were just, their allegiances were all mixed up. You know, um, in, in Thessalonica, you might've had people that were overly isolated in a sense and they were facing a lot of persecution but here you might have people that were too intermingled with the culture and not depicting enough um consecration or isolation um in their own communities that's really good and this is also you know in light of um you know what was said in the previous episode if you haven't listened to it and all of those references to the old testament and you know paul is really calling them to you know in light of of these things uh you know this has to, you know, change how they, you know, they view each other. We saw um, the person in the church who, you know, who Paul um, was telling to bring back into the fold um, his, their feelings towards him as well. And, you know, it's interesting that they're talking about, that he's talking about holiness here. And, you know, and in light of, um, you know, their relationships with each other and relationships with him and all the, the really all the things that, that are going on there and how they should, you know, protect um, themselves in body and spirit, um, you know, in order to, to have this uh, community and uh, for it to be evident that, that they are set apart um, from those around them and, and for them, you know, not to, to participate in some of the things, you know, going on all around them um, and to, you know, protect themselves and each other. And, you know, and thankfully my dog's been quiet now. So moving on into the, to the next <laughs> section, um, which as Michael pointed out is different. And, and um, I kind of already introduced it a little bit. So don't want to mm -hmm. um, belabor that, but basically, you know, jumping into, um, you know, verse two, basically this whole section really goes together. Um, but he, you know, he starts by describing his relationship with them um, um, and, you know, how their relationship is really connected in Christ. 
um, especially how he says um, to die together and to live together. You know, Paul has this understanding that, you know, because, you know, he's kind of this like fatherhead, um, they're kind of fatherhead apostle of, of the church that was planted here. Um, you know, he's really going to go out of his way to, to really do, you know, really whatever it takes to help them and guide them uh, spiritually, point them towards, point them towards Christ. Um, he says again here something that he's, he's already said throughout this chapter, how he has not wronged them. Um, he's kind of like making also this um, another point here where he says that he has not taken advantage of anyone. Um, the commentary I was reading at, uh, out of um, stipulated that, you know, this church was potentially uh, supporting him financially um, and potentially there was claims that, you know, he wasn't uh, using that money properly. But, you know, here he's saying that um, when it comes to the support that they've given him, his, their relationship with him, his spiritual guidance, the letters that he's written, uh, he hasn't taken advantage of them. He hasn't intended to, to wrong them. Um, and he's, you know, he's saying all this in light of how connected their relationship is. You know, we've seen Paul talk about his suffering um, and how um, even in his suffering, he has been, um, you know, proud um, of them, wanting uh, them to be successful, uh, wanting to pour into them spiritually. Um, and he's saying he's, he's um, alluding to how this has brought him comfort in all of the, you know, pain and suffering and affliction that uh, he has, you know, been receiving and been on the other end of and, um, you know, how much, you know, really connected they are in suffering, as we've seen in previous chapters, and also um, in their relationship in Christ and, and how they should be looking towards uh, holiness. That's interesting. You talked about uh, in verse two, it says we have corrupted no one. And you said how they may have been giving Paul money and they might have been questioning like how Paul was handling money. I actually learned of not just that uh, potential interpretation, but also two others. Um, not really sure which one um, I would go with, but it, it's possible that Paul is saying that or the Corinthians were like potentially accusing him like, hey, you're calling us to not give allegiances to people engaged in like economic idolatry. So those would be potential financial gains, but we're not allowed to do that. So those are potential like losses and corruption. So that'd be a second one. And the, the third one may be just that he's not actually responding to any actual charges, just giving a defense of his ministry still just saying like, we have given no corruption to anybody, not like an actual situation. So those are just like three options. But what's interesting in verse three that I really like is it, it ends with, uh, Paul's talking about unity, what Andre's been talking about, and he says to die together and to live together. But what Bible translation do the majority of Americans read? Or the highest percentage of Americans read the NIV. And then at the end of verse three, it says, we would live or die with you. But I really like how some commentators talk about how uh, the die needs to become before the live. It can't be the other way around because Paul is picking up on themes from Jesus's own life and that he's learned from the Old Testament as well. You think Joseph dies or goes into the pit before his resurrection, ascending to going from prisoner to mm -hmm. prince, from pit to uh, prisoner and pit to prince, and then Jesus going from death to life. And he's saying basically their, their engagement in ministry and their lives as followers of Jesus reflect that. They're dying and living. He's kind of picking up on that, that paradigm, that idea. I think a big part of that also is his um, affliction and uh, his desire for them to, you know, be supported spiritually through his letters. Um, despite him not being there, uh, a lot of that has to do with, you know, his, you know, the strong desire that he has for, um, for ministry and for, you know, spreading the gospel and ensuring that, that, um, you know, as in, the, I think it was in, in chapter six, where, you know, 
where he's talking about not receiving um, salvation in vain. Um, and, you know, how, you know, concerned he is with, um, you know, all of uh, those in Corinth, you know, having salvation and how, you know, connected he sees them, as Michael was alluding to, you know, how connected their relationship is in that, uh, in being followers of Christ, um, you know, w- when they die, their story doesn't end there, right? Um, and, and Paul has this deep desire for, for, for them to have salvation, right? For them to be saved and for them not to, um, you know, waste their lives and, and, and live their lives in idolatry and impurity and, and all of those other things. Um, so I think that's really good. Um, but uh, if you don't have anything else, we can move on to uh, verse five in, in, in this next section. Yeah, let me say one thing really quick. It's not like some textual analysis, but I love in verse four, just like his range of emotions. He has great boldness towards them, kind of like in chapter six, he's not afraid to make known to them the truth, to, to tell them about what God is up to and what God is calling them to. But at the same time, he has great pride in them. He's filled with comfort. He's overflowing with joy. And so that range of emotion just shows Paul's heart for the gospel, but also his heart for the people that he's ministering to. So I really like that. But yeah, keep going in, into verse five uh, and beyond. Yeah, so as, as we get into um, verse five, here is a little bit about uh, just, you know, really what's going on. So um, Paul um, wrote several letters to the Corinthians, one of which, as Michael said, we'll, we'll get to in uh, in verse eight, how potentially the, the letter in question here is, uh, one which is is not uh, in the Bible, so it's not First Corinthians or Second Corinthians. This letter, which has caused um, the Corinthians uh, some level of grief, based on you know what what Paul has has written in that letter. So we'll get into that. But here we see that um, you know Paul is grieved because of you know what he's heard, but uh, the comfort that he has uh, received has come in large part be, by the report given to him uh, by Titus. Uh, who, you know, we've seen in, in previous chapters, you know, they were supposed to meet, uh, there was this inability for them to meet, and, you know, eventually we see now that uh, Titus has come to, to Paul, which is actually a really big deal, because, you know, we know of Paul is that he's been suffering uh, all these afflictions, uh, he's on the run, in, imprisoned, all, all these things, and, you know, seeing a friend, and the friend bringing this really great report on the godly fear and uh, the love uh they have the godly fear that they possess and also their love for Paul um, really brings them a, a sense of comfort when he, you know, when he gets that, that message that, you know, he can't go and see them himself, but one of his close friends is bringing this message that, you know, they're um, on the right track. They love him and, and that kind of thing. And seeing just how much uh, comfort um, he gets from that kind of uh, the same thing with, with the emotions in, in two, two through four, but, you know, receiving that has, has um, been this big benefit uh, to Paul. So all in all, he becomes, you know, overjoyed. Um, and it says that, you know, he rejoices uh, because even though, uh, you know, they were grieving because of, because of him and because of the letter he wrote, like in the end, it turned out um, with a positive outcome. Yeah, that's really good. And so just continuing in that section, I think a couple things are very interesting. So he's talking, like Andre's already talked about a lot, uh, this coming of Titus that's brought him joy despite the affliction. And it's interesting, though, how he describes his, um, his joy. He In verse 6, he says, but God. So they're having these, this affliction, this suffering, this turmoil, inwardly, externally, everything. He says, but God 
who comforts the downcast. And here he, he doesn't quote, but he definitely alludes to Isaiah 49, 13, which is interesting because it's in the section where um, Isaiah is prophesying about this future exodus that's going to be led by the servant of the Lord and how God's people are going to be restored. And he says, sing for joy, O heavens, and exult, O earth, break forth, O mountains, into singing, for the Lord has comforted his people and will have compassion on his afflicted. So the Lord comforting his people is tied to this singing for joy, which is, I mean, what you see the apostles doing in Acts, even when they're in prison, which is, which is crazy. And so they're comforted uh, by the coming of Titus, by what Titus has to say, as Andre already talked about. And so uh, do you want me to start or do you want to maybe start, but we can start talking about this, this other letter and what's going on in verse eight? Yeah, for sure. So, you know, like I said, um, the letter in question here would, would have been one you know, between first and second Corinthians. Um, so between the time he sent the first letter uh, that we have in the Bible and the time that he sent this letter. And essentially this letter is much of the same uh, themes, I would assume, as, uh, you know, his first letter, some of his other writings, uh, potentially, you know, very um, harsh in that, you know, he's really calling out their sin and more so, you know, pointing out things that they need to change, right? And in and, and reading this letter, and because of their desire for Paul to come there and minister them, minister to them in person, uh, you know, we know how, you know, different things are over Zoom. Well, they didn't have Zoom back then. <laughs> they wanted uh, the Apostle Paul to be with them and to point things out to them and to uh, minister to them, you know, in person. And, and we know that he couldn't be there um, and sent this letter and uh, all of these things together, um, have caused them some level of grief. And I won't get to what we see in verse 9 and 10 yet, in case if you have anything else, Michael. But but, but essentially, um, this letter that we, we don't have the privilege of reading, but this letter has caused them um, some level of grief. And we see, we now get to see how this um, grief plays out and um, how it's actually potentially beneficial for them. But uh, before we get into that, I just wanted to say how, you know, this grief, because they are, you know, kind of, um, you know, feeling uh, this grief and, and this desire for Paul to be there and, and kind of have these ill feelings towards them because of it, you know, Paul is, is, is troubled by this because he does want what's best for them. Yeah, that's good. So a little bit on the letter, on the, the missing letter, and then I'll jump into the godly versus worldly grief thing. So in verse eight, he talks about how he may have made them grieve or did make them grieve with his letter. And just to go back to chapter two, he says uh, in verse four, for I wrote to you out of much affliction and anguish of heart and with many tears, not to cause you pain, but to let you know the abundant love that I have for you. And so a lot of scholars or analysts talk about this as a letter of tears. Um, and so what that would have been, or what's interesting about this is that uh, there's actually a debate uh, between some people about, well, if we found another letter of Paul to the Corinthians or something like that, let's call it third Corinthians or whatever you want to call it. 1.5. 1.5. There we go. If we call it first and a half Corinthians, there we go. Then um, would that, is it possible that would be part of the, the Bible today? And uh, some genuine believers believe completely yes. And I would be, uh, I would tend to lean the other way just because I would say that like God has formed the canon of scripture in a way that has been sufficient for his people for 2000 years. And we don't need other words from the Lord. However, it would be awesome and really cool if we could see what that would, what that would contain. And so, but like Andre said, 
he is saddened over the, the results of his letter in the short term, but with the long-term results, uh, repentance, salvation, holiness, he's very pleased with. So in the long run is always more important to Paul, kind of like at the end of the chapter, uh, he talks about there has been uh, no loss, I'm pretty sure at some point we'll get to that. And so that's, that's in the same theme, like there might be short-term loss, but there's not long-term loss due to salvation. Uh, actually, that's at the end of verse nine. Yep. So getting into verse nine, or verse eight, <laughs> yeah, good timing. So in verse nine, he says he rejoices, not because they were grieved, but because they had grief that led to repentance. So you think of Peter's grief uh, at the end of the Gospels after he's denied Jesus three times. That leads to him to follow Jesus and to be ministered to by Jesus at the and on the sand by the sea after Jesus resurrects. And then he uh, preaches the Pentecost sermon and thousands are saved. But you think of Judas. He ended up just killing himself. And he had a remorse, but not a holy or a godly grief that led to repentance. And so that's just a, that's just a comparison we can make. But godly grief leads to an idea of sin that understands that it rejects God and that it turns, it leads to uh, holiness, sanctification, salvation, etc. But worldly grief is self-centered and self-seeking and self-righteous. It's interesting that you say that, you know, the grief that Jews experienced uh, led him to kill himself because in verse 10, we see uh, that Paul says that worldly grief produces death. And this contrast is, is, is so interesting because, you know, both are feelings of grief um, but yet one produces, you know, such a life-giving, such a life-giving thing, uh, salvation, um, repent, produces repentance, while the other we see such, you know, completely opposite, just, just leads completely to death. And, you know, the reason why this led to, why, the, you know, Paul's letter led to repentance and led to salvation is because, you know, upon reading Paul calling them out and um, pointing out their sin and, and pointing out the places where, you know, they need to change and need to repent, um, and seeing that, you know, we know that the Corinthians uh, would have felt this uh, sense of conviction, um, and you know, in their you know relationship with with Christ and and being um, supported and um, helped by uh, Paul and, and his ministry, um, we know we know and we see by the account of of Titus to Paul and, and Paul writing here that this led to to them actually uh, repenting and um, you know improve their relationship with. Uh, with God. And, and all of this just brings um, Paul a lot of joy. And, you know, he's, um, you know, he's, he's ends up, you know, being actually relieved and happy that he sent this letter, uh, even though for a little bit, it caused some pain in the long run, it significantly benefited um, his relationship with them, the relationships with each other, and more importantly, their relationships with God. So like looking into verses 11, 12, 13, and going forth into the end of the chapter, we really see how this godly grief in Corinth has led to like significant results that Paul is so pumped about. That's why he is okay with making them cry because the long-term results are so worth it. They have a zeal or they, he, he sees that they have a zeal. He doesn't want their, their zeal to be for worldly things. He wants their zeal to be for the kingdom. And then he also talks about fear again. And then, so he says he didn't write for uh, and we get some references here back to the beginning of, of 2 Corinthians or earlier in the book when we talked about uh, church discipline and we talked about them disciplining that man who's potentially from 1 Corinthians 5 with the sexual immorality. But then we end up getting to uh, looking at how their grief has led to an earnestness that and they have uh, led or they have walked in a way that has uh, made Paul rejoice and they've, there's some sort of uh, 
uh, zeal for Paul or some sort of um, agreement there, some sort of integration of fellowship. And then so he again brings in Titus. We rejoice still more at the joy of Titus because the spirit has been refreshed. So Paul's not just excited about what the Corinth is doing for him, but how Titus, his, his brother and uh, partner in the gospel ministry, is um, being refreshed as well. Yeah, and, and as Michael said, we see Titus being refreshed by, by the fruits of, of, you know, their ministry. And, and what he sees from, from his visit uh, to them, we see that, um, we see that, they were, that Titus was received by the Corinthians uh, with fear and trembling. So, you know, the word that he was bringing, um, you know, potentially any, um, you know, things that he was telling them, uh, uh, getting an account of, you know, how they've been doing in terms of the letters that Paul sent them and, and how they need to, you know, be changing uh, their ways with idolatry or, or this uh, first and a half Corinthians letter. Um, Titus sees that, you know, they've made these uh, changes potentially and, and that, you know, they're receiving him with this, um, you know, uh, fear and trembling, which, you know, is not, you know, fear and trembling of him, but, but more so fear and trembling of, um, you know, you know, demonstrating that, that they have this fear and trembling of God and that this has caused, you know, a change in their hearts and in the way that they're um, going about and living their lives. And this in turn has uh, just given Titus uh, so much, we see refreshment uh, because of, you know, all the afflictions that he's also received. And now he's getting to see um, the fruits of, of, of his labor and the labor of Paul as well and of, of their ministry and, and seeing that uh, this church is, is now doing, you know, the right thing. And, and you know, I would assume uh, making more disciples and, and living the right way. And, and now this thing that potentially caused grief is now just causing, causing joy for everyone. And just looking ahead to next week before we wrap up, just think about how like you're a new creation in Christ, 2 Corinthians 5.17. And so we see that that transforms our desires. Take a complete 180. I mean, at the beginning of this episode, uh, Andre's dog Bailey was about to jump all over me as we began to record. Now Bailey's fast asleep. The change is just as clear <laughs> when you follow Christ and when you submit to him. And so as we get into the chapters eight and nine, the next couple of weeks, we're going to see how their relationship with Jesus, relationship with Paul, but how they've been transformed by the spirit encourages them to give generously and to support the mission of God, no matter what it costs. And just the last thing I'll say before wrapping up is that I think this is a super big encouragement to us as believers to, you know, we've seen a lot about, uh, you know, coming to uh, believers, uh, you know, brothers and sisters in Christ when something is going wrong and the approach for that. But now we also see the approach when that 180 that Michael was talking about has been made, how we should rejoice with them and, you know, be super pumped that this 180 has been made and um, really, you know, thank God that, you know, this person who was in sin is now, um, you know, living in this fear, this uh, godly fear, and uh, really making a change in their lives. And that's all I have. I think Michael's done as well. But we hope you guys enjoyed this episode and tune back in for Second Corinthians 8, as Michael said. And uh, see you guys next week.